Hey folks, thanks for joining me for this episode from the Embellish Pod, an opportunity for me to ramble about whiskey or something for a few minutes. If you got here by chance, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. Hopefully I can be found on any podcasting platform that exists. If you can't find me on a platform, send me an email at embellishpod at gmail.com and I'll get that taken care of. You can also find video versions of this podcast on YouTube. You can find all of my links on Instagram at embellishpod or TikTok with the same handle. I have a website. It is www.embellishpod.com. It's a place to pick up these links, episode details, and more. Uh, today, we're going to have Bill from Four Gate Whiskey joining us. Um, I, I really enjoyed the conversation that I had with Bill. Bill uh, has worked hard to to build a uh, fantastic brand in Four Gate, um, what I would consider to be a premium bottling, um, but it's a premium bottling that matches the price point. And you can't say that for all of the folks that are playing in that particular marketplace. So this uh, this morning or this afternoon, I have Bill from Fourgate joining me. Um, Bill, if you would just kind of give us the, you know, the elevator speech on what Fourgate is and, and what you guys are about. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, <clears throat> so we're uh, we're a little bit different of a, of a company. We started back in 2018. Um, the idea was, um, if, you, if you consider world whiskeys versus bourbon and, and American rye whiskey, um, bur- bourbon and rye whiskey, you can use um, any grains you want as long as 51% is corn or the other 51% is rye, um, you know, depending on the whiskey. But the rest of the grains can be anything you want. Um, so, you know, theoretically from the start, you should have this huge variety of flavors in the whiskey. But because we have to use a new oak barrel every time, you know, we know that you go on any tour of any major distillery and they'll tell you that, you know, 90% of the taste and 100% of the color always comes from that new barrel. And a new charred white oak barrel gives you caramel and vanilla and butterscotch predominantly. It can give you some other things too, but if it doesn't have those, you have messed something up along the way, right? So our flavor spectrum in American whiskey is actually pretty narrow if you taste it against world whiskeys, um, because those world whiskeys, despite the fact that 99% of them only use one grain malted barley, they can use any barrel in the world. They use bourbon barrel, a new oak barrel, um, <coughs> wine barrel, sherry barrel, port barrel, rum barrel, you name it, they can use it. So their flavor spectrums are just across the board from peaty and smoky all the way down to stuff that tastes like um, honey from, from spring bank or something like that. So um, really back in 2018, I, I uh, visited uh, Calvin Cooperage here in Louisville. They, of course, Cooperages make barrels and they buy and sell used barrels uh, through a, a friend of mine, a mutual acquaintance, Bobby D'Antoni. <clears throat> just to uh, write about them for a website I was running at the time. And uh, I kind of got this idea in my head uh, that if you sourced really great whiskey and uh, worked with that Cooperage hand in hand, you could have have a lot of fun bringing in these other type of flavors that you don't typically get in American whiskey. In 2018, there were people doing barrel finishing, but usually it was your, your young kind of flawed whiskey. Um, and you were covering up some of his flaws by throwing it in a sherry barrel for, for a couple of years and, and then putting it out. Um, I wanted to to show American whiskey consumers that, you know, there were a couple exceptions of people who were doing it really well, but by and large, you know, everyone turned their nose up at finished whiskey. Uh, I just wanted to kind of bring in some of those flavors that the rest of the world gets in their whiskey, um, you know, on a daily basis. So I, uh, about a year after I had uh, written that story on Kelvin Cooperage, I called up Bobby again and said, hey, man, I have this idea for a whiskey company. What do you think? Uh, and he was on board, jumped on, you know, jumped in head feet first uh, into the deep end. We got Kelvin to, to work with us and help us out a little bit. Actually, a lot. They've been phenomenal partners to us. And, and 2019, April was our first batch, and we've kind of gone from there. So, and in, in you, you know, you, you've, you've alluded to this already. Um, and you guys recently released the the Kelvin 60, uh, which is cel- mm-hmm. celebrating the 60th, 60th anniversary of Kelvin Cooperage. And it's not necessarily the like a normal situation for a whiskey company um, to have a bottling to celebrate a cooperage, right? Like that's not, there's, there's a few people that have named cooperages very specifically in what they're doing whenever they're doing something very, very unique. But, um, and I, I think it's something that's unique to you guys, but can you explain a little bit more about that relationship with Kelvin that, that you guys have and, um, what it is that says, Hey, you know, we, we want to celebrate the people who make our barrels. Yeah, it's, uh, it goes back to personal relationships that Bobby had with the the owners of Kelvin Cooperage. Uh, but the whole inspiration for the company was what you could do with these. You know, you, if you go into the warehouse of, of their Cooperage, they have, you know, they're making new barrels all the time, but they have this warehouse of used barrels that have come in from all over the world. And it, they might have a stack of six to 10 sitting in a corner of something that came in from Spain or, you know, Brazil or what have you. 
and the big producers wouldn't care about six to 10 barrels. They just, it, it's too small scale for them. Uh, but someone in our situation, we could have a lot of fun with it. Um, so we, from the very start, wanted to highlight Calvin Cooperage and their involvement with, with our company. And they're, they're not owners of our company, uh, but they are uh, really partners with us. They, we, we let them taste all of our blends before they're bottled. Um, we let them come to us with ideas of, hey, we can get five or six of these barrels. Do you have any interest? Uh, in, and they give us advice on things like, you know, blend up something sweet with this or something spicy with that, or this would work great with a rye. I've never seen it done with a rye because these, these folks have, you know, they are, are, they were founded 60 years ago, but they go way back in Scotland. Um, the company actually started in Scotland. They've been Coopers for a long time. Nobody knows more what a barrel will do to an underlying whiskey than, than, than the folks at Kelvin and the people who work at Cooper, just to be honest. And the fact that Kelvin is a small kind of craft hands-on Cooper, just not a big conveyor belt factory or anything like that means that they've been very hands-on with this process for generations. So we want to highlight that craftsmanship and the fact that, like I said earlier, uh, almost all your flavor and all your color comes from a barrel. You know, I think it's kind of funny and, and I don't, I don't mean to disparage it or anything, but, but in America, we put a big focus on the distiller, right? And, and rightfully so. There's a lot of a lot of very talented people doing distilling, but if you go around the world, they tend to, to focus on the blenders. Um, we wanted to focus on the things that really impart the most flavor because, of course, we do barrel finish most everything we do. Um, so that means that that we want to focus on the cooperage. They are it's it's really unique their place in the whiskey industry. They're very rarely heralded or talked about, despite the fact that they have probably the biggest influence on the final flavor of the product than anyone in the process. You know, and you make a really sort of salient point, and 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 you guys are taking cooperage and and celebrating it as a feature, as opposed to viewing it as a primary ingredient for whatever you guys happen to be making. And um, you're right, you know, we do celebrate. I've I've talked about this a number of times on different episodes. We've talked we we celebrate the master distiller more than the blender, and I think that's maybe changing a little bit in the North American marketplace. Um, but in the beginning, so you have a relationship with Kelvin specifically. Um, mm -hmm. I assume at this point you guys are exclusively getting barrels for Kelvin or do you still explore other opportunities as well? Right. Everything, every barrel we get is either from Kelvin or through them. Uh, a couple of times, Bobby, my partner has found someone's reached out to him or he's found barrels somewhere else, but we don't want to just reach out and call it. I mean, Bobby and I don't know whether a barrel is, is good or, or bad or what other than smelling it. Uh, so we'll reach out to Kelvin and say, Hey, these folks up in Baltimore run a distillery. We'd really like to try their barrels. Can you bring them in? Calvin will bring them in. They'll test them. If they need repairs, they repair them before we ever see them. Um, and then they give us the okay. And, and several times they've said, nope, you don't want these. They're bad. You know, there's something wrong with them. Either there's a funky smell, maybe some mold, or, uh, you know, they're just too old and they're not holding liquid. Whatever the case might be, there's times when they've rejected barrels for us, which we are so appreciative of. And then to start out, um, you know, Kevin McLaughlin, who was the the older of the two brothers who owned the, the, the Coopers when we started, he gave gave us names of people to call just to to get our company started. And we, we didn't, you know, we, we'd never been on the inside of the industry. I wrote about it and, and my business partner did uh, uh, financial uh, consulting for some uh, cost control consulting for, for Kelvin and a couple other places, but we didn't know who to call to get, you know, source whiskey or, or anything like that. So they gave us a couple of names and, and Bobby, my partner kind of, kind of spider webbed out from there and made all these, all these contacts and they have given us advice and help and um, just, been phenomenal partners to us. Again, we let them taste everything before we bottle it to get their opinion too. We want we want to know if they think it should stay longer in the barrels as well. We we try to be very collaborative about everything we do with with everyone involved with our company. And we even taste with folks in the media and friends before stuff is bottled. If you ever come to Louisville, there's a real good chance if you sit down with us somewhere, you're going to taste something that we haven't decided if it's ready or not. And we'll take your opinion into account of whether you like it. We really do. Yeah. So in, in preparation for, for this interview, I've got some, some friends over at the Bourbon Lens podcast and we talked about some, some times that you guys have spent together. And so I kind of got a insight into that, but Bill, so you, your background is you, you worked as a financial slash data analyst type role in investment. Then you said, Hey, I'm going to create this website called modern thirst. And now you've gotten to a whiskey brand. Like how, yeah. how does that journey happen? Right. Cause I'm always interested <laughs> in this because there's so many people that, come from these varied different backgrounds uh, Damn, I don't know. Uh, in making a whiskey company? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, um, so uh, I'd always been into bourbon back, you know, all the way back to college. I went to University of Kentucky in the mid mid to late 90s. 
uh, bourbon was just always around. I grew up in Louisville and, and anyone who grows up in Louisville, there's never a question. If you go to a wedding, unless it's a dry wedding, there's going to be bourbon on the bar. And it's probably going to be the, the, at least in the, you know, in the nineties and two thousands, if you were, if you're getting the good stuff, you're getting maker's mark. And if you were getting the house brand, you're getting old Forster 86. I love both those whiskeys. They're both great whiskeys. They've been around for as long as they have and sold as many bottles as they have, not because they're cheap, but because they're good whiskey. Right. And you just, it just grows up as part of your culture. You, you just grow up with it here in Louisville and, and in a lot of places around here. So it always been a thing for me. Um, and I was also in journalism in college. I wrote for our, our student newspaper at UK. Um, uh, just always liked writing as an outlet. And on the side, I always thought I was going to be a novelist at some point and uh, started about a thousand novels and never finished them. <clears throat> but um, called up a buddy of mine <clears throat> around 2012, I think it was. And, and uh, I was just looking for an outlet to be kind of creative and, you know, finance and uh, 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 data management work. I worked with a lot of folks in India on a daily basis and I worked with a lot of spreadsheets. It's not the most creative of fields. You know, it's not really a creative outlet. Uh, so I was, we were just looking for a way to kind of combine two things that we really enjoyed and modern thirst is what came out of it. Um, and I really think we were probably right place, right time, because, you know, back in 2012 to 2015 is really when the bourbon boom began, probably closer to 2014 or 15. Um, but, you know, it, it right at the, right around 2016, I guess it was, uh, private barrel picks became a thing. And a lot of folks who ran liquor stores, they sold bourbon, but they didn't really, they weren't into it. They didn't know how to taste. They didn't know how to pick. They were afraid to pick a bad one. Um, <clears throat> so they would hire us to, to come do their barrel picks for them. And they would kind of cross brand and say selected by the people at Modern Thirst or something like that for their liquor store. And we did a bunch of that. And when it finally started, when that dried up, when people became familiar enough with whiskey to start in the picks themselves, I was hired by a couple of the, several of the national brands to help strategize and launch new labels. Um, and that all came from the website. And I, I enjoyed it to a point. Um, I didn't like the fact that they usually knew what they wanted. They just wanted a rubber stamp. They always wanted everything to have something to do with prohibition, which drove me nuts because it was always a speakeasy and it was always prohibition were the two things they always wanted. And it drove me nuts because no one went to speakeasy to drink bourbon during prohibition. They went to drink rum and, and stuff you made in your bathtub. Bathtub gin, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> bathtub gin for sure. So, uh, you know, and then this, then I met Bobby, uh, and over the next couple of years, ideas just kind of floated in my head after doing that consulting and while doing it, what would I do if I had access to this whiskey and all these resources as a whiskey enthusiast, you know, I, I collected, drank, love bourbon, love whiskey. What would I do differently? And finally I just said, you know what, I want to, want to try something for myself. And, uh, that's just really where it came from. You know, and so you may have been on the front end of the trend, but there, there's a there's a bevy of podcasters, <clears throat> and website folks, and people in the whiskey verse that are now kind of going out on their own to create a brand, right? Similar to what you guys have done with Fourgate. There's other folks that are doing this. And um, do, do you have any advice for those folks that are trying to still maintain their credibility as a independent source of information while also having some skin in the game, so to speak? You know, that's a that's a tough tightrope to walk. I know several people have done it and they're doing it successfully. The, the guys over at Bourbon Pursuit are doing a great job. Um, really like them. Re very nice guys. Love their podcast. Um, they have a great, uh, um, really, really great operation that they're building out right now. So hopefully that's wildly successful for them. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I guess a part of their the reason that they were more successful than we were is we were 99% of what we did is review whiskey. They talk about whiskey and talk to people in the industry more than they review it by far over at Bourbon Pursuit. Um, so you're not really going to their website to, to see a score on a whiskey or something like that. For the most part, they do do some. Um, so it, it's a little easier on their side, I think, to maintain that credibility. Um, from our standpoint, I stopped doing Modern Thirst reviews pretty much the moment we, we started bottling for Fourgate. It's just a, it, it's a massive conflict of interest for me to be scoring or rating a bourbon that might be in competition against my own. Uh, how how would you ever take me seriously if if I tasted in a blind tasting or any other type of tasting if Fourgate was in there, and I scored it high, versus something else? It, it would be it would be hard to. So, I, I don't know how other folks will do it. I know there's several of them out there who are doing it. Hopefully, they're very successful with it. I, I think a lot of it probably depend, depends on the scale that they're going to produce whiskey. I think if you're trying to if you're just doing small um, small bottlings for your your listeners. Um, you can, you can do it pretty easily. Otherwise you just have to be very, very careful never to, you know, when it, when it, 
you can promote, but you probably should keep your whiskey out of, of your ratings and blind tastings. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes complete sense. Um, so what is, so you, you said you're, you're not doing any reviews for modern thirst anymore. What is the future for modern thirst? Like, oh, it's just happened? dormant. <laughs> but you, for a while, it ran it, but there was something that was published on it. Like what, two weeks ago, three weeks ago for the first time in a couple of years. I updated a, uh, um, I, I, it's still there. I, you know, we did so much work and I don't want it to go away. Um, but I updated a plugin that was, um, I, I got a notification from our hosting site that a plugin had gone bad and the site had gone down. So I updated the plugin and it's connected to a uh, press release PR feed that comes in from elsewhere. And it just mm-hmm. automatically grabs some of those and, and publishes them as press releases. And it grabbed two of them before I remembered what it does and remembered to go in and disconnect <laughs> it. So, uh, and I, I honestly don't mind if it's if it's sending out press mm-hmm. releases, if it's a place that people can come to get information on new and upcoming products. So I might reactivate that at some time. But but no, I think the last things it was doing was running running some stories about us launching Forgate and then um, uh, some Forgate press releases. That was pretty much the the bulk of it for its last year of existence. And and. I doubt it would ever be anything more than automated press releases going out. It could, if if I ever uh, leave Fourgate or sell Fourgate, I'd probably still want to be involved in whiskey somehow. So I'd I'd jump back on it. So you know, you said if you ever sell Fourgate, and um, you know, there there are brands like Penelope and Blue Run um, that that have you know, I think at least one of them came out after you guys came out and has subsequently sold. Um, mm-hmm does their business model sort of change anything about what you're doing with Fourgate, or, you know, did you build this with the intent to own it forever? Is there a build with intent to sell? Is it, I just you like know, this idea and we'll see where it goes or, you know, it's a, uh, we, we never built it with the intent to sell it. Um, but we did say one of the things we told, cause we have, we have some investors as well. It's not just my mine and Bobby's personal money that to get the company started. Um, one of the things we said is that we're going to run it to be profitable. And if we run it well and profitable from the start, we won't have any problems selling it. Should we make that decision? We've had offers that we've turned down. Um, it's a, you know, if I were to sell it, there there are reasons we would. My first job before I even got into finance was a business development company, and and we we worked with small businesses and just kind of helped them step out of the business and and learn to to form formulate it properly for growth. Um, and one of the things we said is that. The only there's only two reasons to start a business, and one is to pass it on to your kids, and the second is to sell it. That's that's the end game for all businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, ultimately, um, I'm not going to own Fourgate forever. My, I have two daughters. I doubt they're they're going to show much interest in whiskey. My wife can't stand whiskey. Um, so you know, ultimately, it, it's either selling the company or at least selling my my ownership of it at some point. Um, but that's probably many years down the road. Um, mm-hmm. But in terms of our business model, no. Um, it hasn't really changed what we're what we've ever considered because the the big difference between some of those and ours is that they they capitalized at a very big uh, at a very big level to start and they built facilities and we decided to keep our overhead very low which keeps us very lean. This past year was awful for in, for the liquor industry and it allowed us to remain profitable. Uh, whereas a lot if you have a very high overhead, you're you're going to struggle very very much with that. But we do we do field questions all the time from our own. Um, investors even of, of do we want to explore building out a distillery do we want a tasting room do we want some some hard assets like that other than just the whiskey and we're always talking about it and and uh, discussing it and who knows what we'll do in the future we don't have any plans to to change our business model right now um so um you know maybe in the future we would i, I can't imagine it happening anytime soon yeah and and you're pretty happy the you mentioned the tasting room. Tasting rooms are getting really, really, really popular in the downtown Louisville area uh, for a number of different brands. And so I think I would imagine if you were to stand one up, it wouldn't have a very hard time filling seats. Um, but, you know, kind of making the decision to go ahead and build out a full scale distillery or facility is is concerning. I think, you know, if you're trying to stay lean and profitable, uh, you're looking at a significant yeah. investment with a very, very long term to return your investment. Uh, I, I would always, you know, we've we've talked about tasting rooms a lot, mm-hmm. and my big issue with that is, is I think uh, it. The one thing I would caution people is, is you have to realize, you know, if, it makes a difference if you have a million podcast listeners who are always traveling to Kentucky, uh, yeah. but uh, you know, we're only distributed in eleven states. We have, you know, around three thousand, at most twenty five hundred bottles in a batch. Um, mm-hmm. How how well is that going to support a, a full time employee or two manning a tasting room in downtown Louisville? I 
I would be more interested in banding together with a couple other independent brands um, under a different umbrella of saying this is the independent brand tasting room and having maybe three big, <laughs> big logos out front. Something like that would interest me more than doing my own. Again, even that, it, it, you're going to sign a two-year lease. It's going to cost seven figures for that lease if you're in downtown Louisville. And that, to me, just seems like brand suicide unless you have a lot of volume to support that. We're not a high-volume company, and that just seems to me like a very bad idea. You know, and I'm, I'm going to say this out loud here so that way if somebody ever does this, I can just claim credit for the idea. Um, but it's almost as if there there is a need for – um, you know, in Louisville, they'll do restaurant pop-ups on a regular basis yep. where it's a location that is set up as a um, kitchen, but different restaurants can pop in and out of it or whatever. You're really looking for what would be great in a city like Louisville would be a tasting room pop-up where it's a location that's set up as a tasting room, but you could come in and out of it as Fourgate or um, any other brand. You know, if Penelope wants to set up for a week because they want to run something in Louisville or whatever, um, it's effectively a transient facility for these types of brands. I think it makes sounds like a new business idea for you. Absolutely. It's a great one. Somebody <laughs> should make that. And then just 1%, I'll take 1%. That's all. I'm quite sure somebody's thought of that before, but uh, Fourgate is at least in, in my perception, you could consider it either maybe premium or ultra premium as far as pricing and it's kind of prestige. Um, and, do you think that you guys were on the front end of what might be considered boutique or bespoke or whatever the concept name would be? And um, do you think that's going to be something that's going to continue to grow within the whiskey marketplace? You know, I don't know. Um, in, in terms of on the front end, we were probably near the front, but I know folks like uh, uh, Kentucky Al and Old Carter were around uh, before we were. Um, so we were probably near the beginning. The one thing that we laugh about is that when we started, we were at a 199 retail price point. And we were, if you went into a liquor store, we were the most expensive bottle in the glass case at the top, or at least tied with old Carter or somebody else. And now when you go into a liquor store in Louisville and you look at the glass case at 199, we're bottom third. Um, it's amazing where that segment has gone. Um, mm -hmm. I think um, the, the days of bringing out $400 bottles of bourbon are probably getting, it, it's going to be harder and harder to do that going forward. The economy hasn't been great. Inflation has been awful. Um, you know, at some point that, that has to cool down. You just can't keep throwing $300 bourbons. We don't know what they are, uh, on the shelf and expect everyone to just snatch them up. The more, the more that are out there, the harder it is to sell the ones that exist. Mm -hmm. So I, mean, I, I would see a pullback in that category. Yeah, it, I, th I think you're right there. And I think, um, a little over a year ago, I had, uh, a brand owner say he thought that this at the end of 2023 would be the time frame that um, the, the marketplace would super, super constrict and it would be tough to sell a 50 or $60 bottle of whiskey. And I don't think we're quite there yet, but I think we're really close to it. Um, but we'll get back to, to your whiskey a little bit here. Um, so one of the other, uh, one of the other samples that you sent over was split stave by Kelvin. Um, yeah. What is split stave? Like what, what so does split that mean? Stave, that's our, that's our flagship product. Um, you know, every batch we release, every everything we do is a one-off. So it's a it's a limited release. It's good for collectors. It's good for for people that just like a big variety in flavors. Uh, but it's bad for expanding into new states through your distributor because we would, for example, we would go into a new state. We would go down to state X, Y, and taste them on our products. They would love it. They would say, "Let's bring it in." We'd start the application process for our our. Um, state licenses and they would start the process of getting us on the system and it could be three to six months before you could ever get a pro a, a bottle to them by that point all of our batches that they tasted are gone we've sold out and they say hey we want to order all those ones we tasted and we would have to say tough shit um try some new ones um so uh really our distributors were the ones who who pushed us to come out they call it consistent skew uh, sku um, they wanted a product that we could uh, lead with um, and that would be available all the time. So we came out with Split Stave by Kelvin. And we have used those Split Stave format barrels before as limited release. Um, and it's unique to us. So we just figured it, it, it was a great way to you know, always have the Kelvin name front and center and, and them as, as craftspeople um, showing off what they can do. It's essentially the Split Stave barrel is, is two series of barrels made for us. They make some toasted and some charred. Before we use them, they break them apart. Uh, deconstruct them and they put them back together alternating between the toasted and charred staves so there's some visuals on our website and other places where you can see them it looks kind of like zebra stripes inside the barrel of light and dark staves 
Um, and then we take a seven-year Kentucky bourbon. It's 75% uh, corn, 20% rye, 5% malted barley. We have a lot of this whiskey, so it's kind of our stock whiskey. It's always going always to be at least seven years old. We, we don't age state it on that bottle, um, but we, uh, we finish it in these barrels. And you get kind of a, a toasting and light double oaking in the same bottle from it. It's very uh, creme brulee forward on the palate. Um, you get a lot of baking spices. It sweetens up what is what is otherwise a very spicy underlying whiskey, and it's at a lower price point, so it should be around one forty nine um, retail price in in most places. Um, but we we really like it. It's actually one of the ones I drink the most often. Um, I, I just like the flavor. It's a it's it's a pretty. Um, I, I would call it a sweetened version of a very very good spicy whiskey. Mm -hmm. So it's got a lot of sweet and spice kind of playing off each other in it. Yeah, and, and sorry, um, and within the last year, one of the other releases that you guys have done has been an Amburana finish or Amburana. I don't really know exactly yep. how that's pronounced, but it's a um, it's a particular finishing that has generated like a lot of discussion amongst the whiskey nerds, and it's super polarizing. You've got one group of people that um, really love it, and one group of people that are just ready for it to be over. Um, but you obviously began the idea of doing an Amburana finish well before this craze sort of hit. Cause I feel like, you know, there's some folks that were doing it as a component of a blend a couple, three years ago, but in the last year and a half, two years, it's been like hit I know, hot and heavy. When, when you first came across that finish or, or what it might do to whiskey, did you ever think about how polarizing or how divisive that particular flavor profile might be? Um, yeah, we, we talked about it. It's a, you know, it's one of those, if you don't like cinnamon or cloves or something or gingerbread, um, you're probably not going to like anything Amberana finished and that that's fine. Um, but we like to, you know, as a company that barrel finishes as a rule, um, you can't really say no to something like that, to a trend like that. So, um, when, when the idea was brought to us by Kelvin saying they could get the barrels out of, out of Brazil, we, we initially just jumped on it because there are enough people that like it when you do it in a small, uh, um, a format as we do, um, you know, there were only about 2000 bottles of that produced, I think. So we're not talking about needing it to appeal to the masses in our state, uh, for, for our sake. Um, what we try to do is, is keep it limited enough, you know, it's across 11 states. There's not a ton of those bottles out there. Um, there's enough people that like it, that it makes sense. And if you do it really well, um, and, and we've always said this, you know, when we started again, a lot of people turned their nose up at finished whiskey because they thought it wasn't pure. It wasn't the way bourbon ought to be. Um, my, my whole, my whole stand, standpoint and my saying on that is, you know, we're not printing religious texts here and we're not educating children. We're making whiskey. It's supposed to be fun. So try it. If you don't like it, don't buy it. If you do like it, buy it. But you know, it, it's not, it, it's not something that's sacrosanct that you, you can't experiment with and play around and have fun with. So in our case, we had we used full Amberana barrels. Most people out there are using staves, uh, kind of the way uh, for you know. I don't, I don't really want to say any other companies, but you uh, a lot of people just dip staves into an existing barrel, which is fine. But it's a very different flavor profile um, for Amberana. Uh, you do get a lot of that side cut of the staves, or you get the back end and the, and the different grains of it. When using a full barrel, you you get what's intended to flavor the the whiskey, just the inside of the, those staves and the, and the barrel heads. Um, so we never use staves to flavor. We always use full barrels. And I think in the case of ours, another thing that we've always done very well, Bobby and I have always been on the same page with this. We don't want to, we call it overcooking. We do not want to overcook a whiskey. If you want to taste Amberana, go buy a bottle of cachaça from, from Brazil. It's, it's basically, it's sort of like a rum aged in those barrels. It will knock you over with those, those ginger spices and that cinnamon. Mm -hmm. Go buy that. It's a lot cheaper than buying a bottle of our whiskey. We want to taste the whiskey. So again, we've got this high rye bourbon in there that's seven years old. We only we're only going to finish for about anywhere from four to six weeks for the most part on anything we do, because we want to taste the whiskey first, and then the the finishing should just kind of round out some of those flavors. It shouldn't be the predominant flavor. Um, so I, I've tasted a lot of Amberana finishes since we've produced ours, and I really do think our our stands up with if if doesn't beat pretty much all of them out there. I, and I would I would tend to agree with that, and I think it is it's it's a super I think it's a, it's an important point to kind of go back to is that um, you guys are using full barrels anytime you finish, and that's full size barrels. Uh, that is distinctly unique 
there are some brands probably that do this, but largely the easiest way to, to go about a finish is to use staves because yeah. uh, there's less work, there's less overhead involved. And so that's going to kind of go into, you know, some of the price point conversation or whatever. And um, looking at four to six weeks in a full size Amberana barrel could be really scary um, because you, you could overshoot real quick, or at least from my understanding of how Amberana has worked. Um, it can go from, yeah, this is a little short to um, over finished in a couple of days or whatever. Um, but one of the other things you said, you know, like the, the idea of finishing was absolutely in the past used to hide young or defect w- whiskeys with defects in them um, in the same way that blending was was done that way. And I think we're you know starting to see the American consumer become more OK with finishing and more OK with blending because now it becomes a part of an art process instead of, you know, an opportunity to hide something. Um, but so you, you're exploring barrel finishing on a regular basis. You know, I saw the Mizunara, you, you have the Amberana, um, you do a lot of uh, other stuff. Is, is there a finish out there that you haven't been able to work with yet that you would like to? We're, we're working with it now. Uh, when we started, my, my one goal was always to find some fantastic Madeira barrels. I wanted Madeira in the worst way. I'd had one once before. Uh, that I thought had so much promise to it and really wanted to um, do it ourselves. And uh, we've, we've always told Kelvin Cooperage, if you find really good Madeira barrels, let us know. And they, I think they found a couple before that wound up not panning out, um, but they, they got hold of some for us recently. And I am very excited. Our Kelvin Collaboration 6 next year will be a blend of uh, nine-year-old bourbons, three different nine-year-old bourbons, uh, Kentucky bourbons, and they will be aged in Madeira and dark rum casks. It's already, uh, I believe we've already tanked it. It is fantastic. Um, and we may do a Madeira only finish on another um, another bourbon at some point. It's just one of them that I love. I think there's a tart cherry flavor that Madeira imparts on the whiskey. And if you pair that with with something either spicy or um, kind of peppery, uh, I, I just think the the flavors from that are are fantastic. I love anything that that touches on sour, even if it's almost more, more psychological than on the palate, which is the case with Madeira finished whiskeys. And, um, just really looking forward to Kelvin six. So look for that around, um, uh, April of, of 2024. So absolutely. And there, there was a, there was a brand in Tennessee that was doing Madeira finish on a regular basis that, um, has made some changes to what they put in their casks at this point. And it was fantastic. That was one of those things that, you know, every time I came across it in a liquor store, I would be like, Hey, I need to pick one of these up if I didn't already have one sitting on the shelf. Um, so I also noticed that you like beer a lot. Is there, is there any opportunity for beer finishing? Cause you got the, you know, beer Kelvin works with, with uh, breweries on a regular basis. So they do have they access do. to some beer barrels. Uh, we could. We actually were more working with a couple of little local breweries to finish their beer in our barrels. Um, we, we could do some beer finishing, and we might at some point. We haven't really considered it yet, but it is, you know, as we go down the line, there, there's there's only so many barrels being used for so many things that I want to finish whiskey, and I'm not going to use a hot sauce finished whiskey. I don't really like the maple syrup barrels or what they do to it or anything like that. So I doubt we would do that. But yeah, there's there's a lot of fun to be had with beer barrels. And we will try that. Um, you know, Kelvin recently was acquired by or merged with however however they worked that out with uh, I think it's called Charwal, which is a, a French owned chain of, of Cooperages, not chain, but a French owned um, series of Cooperages owned a, across Europe and North America. And hopefully we're, you know, we're going to be chatting with, with our friends at Kelvin here in, in the next week or so. We're hoping it gives us a, uh, access to a lot of different barrels. Uh, you know, one thing that we haven't used yet that I really want to introduce into our private cask uh, series next year is wine barrels. You know, we've used mm-hmm. fortified wine, uh, but we haven't used any, any cabs or Merlots or, or uh, Zinfandels or uh, no white wine or anything like that. And there's a lot of fun to be had with that, especially, you know, now that I, I believe this uh, co- corporation that, that uh, Kelvin's a part of has a, a, a Cooperage or two out in California. Uh, so I feel like there probably might be an opportunity there for us to play around with some, some different things we haven't yet. Um, so maybe, uh, you know, beer's probably down on, on the, on the list at some point. I think there's been some really good uh, stouts, uh, whiskey has been finished in stout barrels and some porters that I think are really good. And we might play around with some stuff like that too. Yeah. And uh, uh, that's specifically where I was going, you know, stouts and, and porters are, are, are hitting a lot in American single malts and to a lesser degree in bourbons. 
um, and just other whiskeys in the United States. And it, it's always an interesting finish. But um, so with Kelvin being acquired, do you think that that changes the relationship that you guys have or it shouldn't change or you don't know? It shouldn't. The uh, the folks who are there are going to remain in, in um, from what I understand, they're going to be, you know, I don't have any inside information on it. Um, mm-hmm. But from what I understand, the, the folks that we work with are going to remain where they are. Um, and, and, and uh, continue running that company. They, they, they basically will just be part of a, a larger um, corporation. And I believe they're going to expand and, and build a second building. Um, maybe I, I may have heard that one. I don't really know for sure. But uh, again, I'm not privy to anything inside at Calvin Cooper's, but I, I think that uh, what it would really do from our standpoint is hopefully it will open us up to some, <clears throat> uh, some other barrels that, that we just hadn't come across yet. Yeah. And I, I can but imagine. If it doesn't change it at all, we're fine. I mean, our, we love that relationship. They are, you know, they've, they've become friends of ours as well. So it, it's, uh, and they were already friends with Bobby. Um, but uh, it, at this point, we wish them the, the absolute best. They are, they are a fantastic company. It's family owned. Um, the, the, all the men and women who work there are just the nicest people on earth. They work so hard. They're so good at what they do. It's amazing. If you go see this place, there are not conveyor belts, you know, carrying these barrels around the factory to the next station with machines shooting flames through them. There's literally human beings taking the barrels and rolling them from one, one station to the next and shoveling charcoal into them to char them and, and, you know, stoking those flames. And it's amazing what you watch what these folks do and they are so skilled at it. it it's amazing. They're true crafts, craftsmen and craftswomen. Um, just really cool to see. It, it 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 is and it's and it i think it's a part of the whiskey conversation that we don't explore nearly enough right like that's because it is a big part of the flavor and um my in-laws happen to own a, a tree farm in southwest tennessee and there's a stave mill that is for whiskey barrels just down the road and so i get to drive by and see all the staves laying out and you know during the summertime they've got a sprinkler up that'll add a little bit of water to it so it doesn't dry too fast and check up too much and you know split and do all of those things so it's it's an interesting process um is there any type of finish that you think is is at this point it's you know market saturated like we got to move on from this particular type of finish or um or maybe not um the only one that that the only thing that we've come across we don't we're not moving on from it we are taking the toasted finish i think out of our private casks this year we might leave them in just on special request but uh we've done we've done toasted finish as an option for three straight years in our private selects and um you know at some point you just i just we want to be creative and different and and I just get tired of the same all the time. And I do see an awful lot of toasted finishes out there. So I don't know if it's really, um, I don't know if it's market saturated or anything like that, but I do know that we're going to try to take a break from us, just a regular straight toasted finish uh, for about a year. Yeah. And I could, I guess it would, maybe it's not market saturated, but it's harder to compete in a crowded marketplace when everybody's got toasted um, you're just another toasted on the shelf. And I, that's not saying that Forgate is just another, but to some some consumers that might be that way. Um, so you guys do single barrels as well? How, how does that work? We do. Yeah, so we do. Uh, we'll be starting in qu- first quarter of this year. So if any listeners uh, own a store or a club and want to get involved, uh, reach out. If you're in a state where distributed, reach out to your public national R&DC rep. Um, um, <coughs> excuse me. And, and tell them that you're interested in taking part. Uh, we'll be sending out barrel samples. We have again, we haven't really decided what the finish will be since we barrel finish as a rule. We we do want our private selects to be barrel finished, but I think we're going to explore the possibility of maybe some wine barrels and letting you choose different sorts of wine barrels. So you'll pick your whiskey first, I think, this year, and then we'll put them in the wine barrels. And Bobby and I taste um, about every every t- after the first two weeks, we start tasting every week on everything that we finish, and when it's ready, we pull it. Typically on these private barrels, it's been between 30 and 45 days. So um, that'll be that'll be the way it works. So for us, there's not a flat fee for the barrel, so you never get screwed on a short barrel. You pay by finished six-pack case. Case. So if you get 150 bottles, you'll only pay for the case cases you get out of it. Gotcha. And did you just say you, you taste every week? Yeah, we taste the barrel samples, and they would be probably be more representative on the on the private barrels. Um so if we were, for example, to have three different types of finished barrels, we would probably taste one of each type every week. Okay. Because I was imagining like if you're tasting like every barrel every week, like that's that's a pretty serious situation. I, I might need to call a 1-800 number. 
<laughs> something because there, there, there's a lot to that. Um, so you guys have done uh, single barrels in the past, or this is something that's brand new for 23 mm-hmm. or 24? Yeah, this will be uh, 24 will be our fourth year of private selects. And at, right at the end of 23, we, we just started leaking out some uh, single barrels uh, that aren't private selects. Uh, we did a, uh, a release of, we call it, uh, you know, all of our unfinished bourbons that we release, we call Foundation or Tennessee Foundation, Indiana Foundation, depending on the whiskey. Um, the Kentucky bourbons are just Foundation. So they are single barrels this year <coughs> of uh, 10-year-old Kentucky straight bourbon, uh, barrel proof, unfinished. We just, we really like that whiskey. And sometimes when we find stuff we really like, we just want the public to be able to taste it as is. So um, that's trickling out in the market now. At the same time, we have a handful of barrels of uh, 10-year-old rye, River Kelvin rye that's 10 years old, barrel proof. It's an Indi- That's an Indiana bourbon, 95.5. So you mentioned uh, a few states in there, and, and you guys are sourcing from where you can get good quality uh, I don't want to say advanced age because advanced age mean you know to me feels anything beyond twelve years old, but you know seven, eight, nine is definitely above industry standard. But are there certain states that you prefer the the whiskey from? You know, because I, I know no. at least in in the whiskey nerd realm, Tennessee re- regularly gets a bad rap, but it's a participant in a lot of some of the best blends that exist, right? There's some good whiskey that comes out of Tennessee. Um, I there, there's a there's a one or two big ones that I'm not a huge fan of it, and there's nothing wrong with it. It's just my personal preference. I just don't really care for it. Um, and there's some of the Tennessee whiskey that a lot of people try this with a lot. It was one of the bigger ones that sources. Um, they like the barrel finish with it. I just think that there's a huge peanut brittle flavor that does not take well to any sort of sweet finish with that. <clears throat> We've never used it for it. Some other folks have, um, and. For my palate, it hasn't been very successful. I don't know if other people love it or not, and that's that's fine if they do. Um, but there's a lot of great, you know, there's there's more than two distilleries in Tennessee. There's a lot of them that are putting out some really good whiskey, really nice whiskey. We've only sourced our whiskey from Kentucky and Indiana with the exception of one Tennessee foundation. Uh, our Tennessee distributor asked us specifically to do a, found, uh, a single barrel release, not single barrel, a, uh, a barrel proof unfinished release of Tennessee whiskey. So we did. Uh, and it was, it was, in my opinion, probably one of the better blends of that whiskey I've tasted. Um, even if it's not perfect for my palate. Um, but the, uh, all the bourbon we've, we've used has probably 95% of it has all been Kentucky, uh, from heritage distilleries that you've heard of. And there has been a couple of we, when we've had the, the only distillery that we never had to sign it and NDA with is MGP in Indiana. So when we can get their high rye bourbons, we've used that in a couple of releases and all of our ryes have been Indiana because I, I just love MGP rye. Um, we have some Kentucky rye uh, that's a little bit young now. And the whiskey that we buy, even from Kentucky, it's ranged anywhere from about two and a half years old to 14 years old when we buy it. Um, some of it, we're still aging up there. We've got it upwards of you know 10 plus years old right now. We have a, probably 26, 2700 barrels total. Um, but yeah, so we, we've got it anywhere down from two and a half to probably 11 or 12 years old right now. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> just waiting for the right opportunities to use them. Um, but I like Kentucky bourbon. I think that there's value in the market in using Kentucky bourbon. You know, you have to think of it both from a from a whiskey standpoint and a business standpoint. And um, there is there's a definite value proposition to a consumer when it says Kentucky straight bourbon finished in versus just bourbon. Yeah. You know, so we've we've stuck with. But I'm not opposed to using bourbon from anywhere. Um, we would just have to taste it and, and really like not only like it, but feel like it would take well to barrel finishing, which is one of the things that. A lot of times when, when we're just having private conversations with folks, they don't understand the difference that sometimes whiskeys have these really neat, really unique tastes. But when I think about how would this react if I put it in, in a sherry barrel or a port barrel or a rum barrel, and I think, man, that would be disgusting. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, even though I like the whiskey on its own, there have been a lot of them that we've tasted from various brokers and sources where we've said, you know what, hey, that's great whiskey. I know you're going to have no problem selling it, but it's not going to work for our purpose. And some of that Tennessee stuff is the, is the same way. If I if if I had ever tasted an example of it, or when I played around with it myself, found a good way to barrel finish some of that that uh, Tennessee stuff from one of the big distillers. I don't I, again. I try not to name too many names with it. Yeah. Um, that took well to finishing. We'd be all over it because it's a great value. You can get great age. It has some of flavors that are very unique. It's just it's 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 kind of a whiskey that needs to stand on its own, in my opinion, or just be blended with other whiskeys as a minor part of the blend. Um, it can't be the major flavor component because it doesn't take well to sweet anything uh, right. it's already too sweet 
Yeah, and I think you're you're making some some really solid points there, and you know I I would I would assume that MGP at this point on their NDA is like you know everyone knows most of what their mash bills are, and if it says Indiana, where else are you getting large quantities of uh, already made whiskey in the state of Indiana? There's not a ton of places <laughs> to get that from, and so you know why are we forcing this? But um, to the Tennessee conversation, I think that it is a great source of aged whiskey. But I think you're right. At least a, some of the the finishing attempts don't go super well with some of those things, uh, especially with some of the advanced age because it's got a distinct flavor to it um, that a lot of people don't like. I'm okay with it, but uh, I really like how you phrase that is that it doesn't work with your palate because what a lot of people get wrapped up in is, is it, this is bad. This is, it's bad for you, but that doesn't mean that it is inherently bad for everyone. Um, there's a lot of, there's a whole generation of folks that grew up, uh, eating and liking Flintstone vitamins. And so maybe they like it just fine. Um, there's some people that were forced to eat Flintstone vitamins and hate them now. And so they're going <laughs> to potentially not like it. That's at least 100%. the correlation that I've had. I've had a lot of people sort of, you know, kind of make that correlation. Um, I, I go back. The one thing I do want to add to that is I go back a lot of times and, and I mentioned it earlier. Some of those places, now, now a lot of places in Tennessee that, that make great whiskey for finishing, they don't sell their barrels. So that's the main reason we haven't, haven't really used Tennessee for barrel finish yet. But the big ones down there, people talk about how terrible they are all the time. And they're the, the biggest bourbon distillery in the world is in Tennessee, for God's sakes. It's not the biggest bourbon distillery in the world because their whiskey sucks. Let me tell you. You're right. You may not like its format. It may not be high enough proof for, for a kind of a whiskey geek like myself. But it's not making bad whiskey. And the same can be safe for the other big one down there. Um, mm -hmm. There's a reason they're that big and they sell that many of them. They make good whiskey. Same thing can be said for every one of the big distilleries in Kentucky that's been around for 60 plus years. They don't suck. They may not fit your palate, or that you may not like the format they present it, but they're not making bad whiskey. I promise. Yeah. And, you know, my, my dad, when I was younger, he got into homebrewing. Uh, and he's, you know, the more he homebrewed, the more he appreciated the, the Budweiser's and the Coors and the Millers of the world. Because at the end of the day, right, you may not like their flavor profile, but they can every single day pump out the exact same flavor. And doing that is not easy. And it gets no. even more difficult if you consider whiskey and the way it's going to take age from the barrel and the way it's going to play with seasons because it's spending three, four, five, seven, ten years in a rickhouse. Being able to consistently make what is acceptable to good whiskey uh, is not simple. It's not a simple process. And if it was, more people would be doing it and the whole market would be a lot cheaper. Yeah, um, it's, a, it's an art. You know, it, it really is. So it's both so an art and it, that's what I would say. What is, I guess, so you began um, sort of, you began this this whiskey brand in a time whenever kind of a bourbon was on its way up. And uh, one of the things that I've, I've talked to many producers about, the most difficult thing is sort of projecting the future, right? And knowing what is your liquid strategy or what is your wood strategy for the next three, four, five, six years? Um, how far out do you project your... Um, and I, I think I have an idea because you're a former data analyst, financial analyst. So there's probably a lot of numbers that go into play here. But um, how far out do you kind of run your idea of a growth or, or roadmap strategy? Well, we have in terms of finished product, pretty much everything for 2024 is either in finishing tanks or in bottles. So it, it, not only finishing tanks, I just mean holding tanks or bottles. So we're 2024 is pretty much done um, in terms of how we'll finish. We, we typically will start working on those probably. We're working on them all the time, uh, but it really depends on when barrels become available that we really like. In terms of our liquid strategy and our barrel strategy, we're working with Kelvin. Uh, so really, I, I I don't want to be too confident with it, but I feel like they're friends of ours and, and that, you know, we're going to be okay in that regard. Um, the uh, barrel, in, in terms of, of actual barrels of whiskey, we have enough to last us. If, if we continue, if we grew 20% a year at, at the number of barrels that we have, we probably got, have maybe 10 years of, of whiskey as it is now. So we don't have to buy anything for a very, very long time. What we're, the stage that we're in now is our main goal is to um, wait until something comes along that, that we didn't expect that we've never had something really crazy. And then we can jump on that small format, large format, whatever it is. Um, but we don't need to buy whiskey anytime in the near future. And that's a, that's a big plus for us. Um, puts us in a really great situation, especially as the market contracted last year with the economy and mm -hmm. inflation kind of ripping everybody a new one. Yeah. And uh, it, it, it 
it sounds like you've got your future sort of solidified here and uh, you you allude to it slash for you actually you just straight out said you know Kelvin collab number six is dark rum and Madeira is there anything else exciting that's happening in 24 that you could talk about yet or maybe you, you can't get um, our next release should be a triple oak uh, which uh, we're, we're happy to put out I know a lot of our stuff uh, has a lot of references to Kelvin and this was another one that's very special to us uh, when we started, uh, Kevin McLaughlin was the older brother who ran um, Kelvin Cooperage. He passed away from cancer a few years ago, right around Christmas. But he had always envisioned finding um, something that was kind of lightly oaked and then triple oaking it with Kelvin barrels. And always thought that would be neat. And we were always kind of waiting for the right situation. We came across some Kentucky light whiskey from one of the major distributor di uh, distillers. And uh, we rebarreled it in uh, number two char, and then we rebarreled it in toasted uh, from Calvin Cooperage. Um, so it is a really interesting. It's already bottled. Uh, it should be coming out here early, here probably within the next month or so. Uh, really interesting flavor profile. Really good flavor profile. A lot of kind of pie crust to it. Um, um, really not. Uh, if you tasted the original distillate versus what it is now, night and day different. Um, so we're kind of excited about that one. Um, we have another one called Dearborn Pirates, which is uh, rum finished. Uh, it's a Anejo dark rum finished bourbon. We've done uh, one straight rum finish before. I loved it. Uh, this one is very different, completely different rum barrels. So very different flavor profile. <clears throat> so did you say Dearborn Pir Pirates? Yeah. Uh, so that one is an Indiana um, bourbon. It's one of the mm -hmm. high rise uh, in Dearborn County is where that distillery, that big old Indiana distillery is located. So we put that on the front of our uh, labels a lot. It'll say Dearborn County straight bourbon on the back. It'll say distilled in Indiana as well. But that's if you're ever looking at our stuff, um, if it says Dearborn County, you know that it is MGP. OK, and so kind of maybe going backwards a little bit um you you've talked about what 24 looks like um 23 at least the the very recent ones are the split stave the kelvin 60 which is in my opinion phenomenal um and the ambirana which is it's, it's good I, I am one of those people that i can only take it at certain times of the year right i, I want sure. ambirana Around Christmas time mainly, or maybe Halloween, right? Because sometimes it's gingerbread cookie and sometimes it's spiced pumpkin roll for me. It just depends on <laughs> how my mood is. Um, but it's got the the creaminess and all of the the different things that are what make an Amberana good, whether I like it or dislike it. Um, where can people go get these things? What What is your states of distribution? Is there a website? So, we do? Yeah. So a lot of, unfortunately the Kelvin 60 uh, seemed to be a lot of buzz up on it before it was released. So it, it kind of sells out. I don't know that we have any left in our warehouse. Um, it sold out in Illinois two different times that, that our distributor purchased it pretty much within about 48 hours. So it, it some of them are hard to find. Some of them are a little easier to find. It just kind of depends, but we're in Kentucky in uh, Tennessee, those were the two states we started in, and then Indiana and Illinois. Um, so Chicago area is a great place. Indianapolis is a great area to find it. Uh, and in Tennessee, there's actually a lot of it around Nashville. Um, but we're also in Georgia, Florida, Louisiana, Texas, Colorado, and California and Arizona. And then we are just now uh, working on getting a shipment to leave the U.S. heading to Australia. There's a group there that wanted to import it. So we we're happy to jump on board with the Honey Barrel in Australia. Mm -hmm. And um, we're always working on some other states. We're working on some a limited basis going to North Carolina uh, this year. So we're kind of excited about that. And we'll be working. I, I think we're probably, you know, we're not in D.C., Maryland, Virginia area yet. And that's a really good bourbon market that we really would like to be in. So we'll probably take a look at that. Um, but, you know, as, as we go further, we're looking at a lot of control states and they're difficult to get into and difficult to manage. So we have to pick and choose our strategies. Again, there's only four of us that work in the company. So, it, you know, if, if we take on a state that requires a ton of work, we, we got to figure out how that works before we ever get into it. Yeah. When you said uh, North Carolina, I immediately thought, oh, that's a control state. That's going to be more difficult. Uh, but you can find us online. We're at uh, Sealbox sells us, uh, Shared mm -hmm. Bore, uh, Berman Outfitter, and Caskers all carry us. Um, and we're working on a couple other options. We're, we're, we're going to have a new website coming out here very soon. Uh, for ourselves. Uh, I built our last one. It's based on a blog platform because that's what I did and that's all I know how to do. I'm not a tech guy. Um, so uh, our uh, we have a, a brand ambassador in the Chicago area who uh, who does graphic design, website design and stuff is his real job, day job. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's working on that for us right now. 
Uh, you're going to see a lot more social media marketing from us in the in the next year. We're trying to, to get our name out a little bit more. We've never really done any of that other than word of mouth and reaching out to uh, influencers and podcasters and YouTubers and stuff like that. So we're trying to do a little bit more of that as well. Um, and we're working on a couple of, uh, of, of other um, uh, online outlets that can that will expand the the availability. I know Sealbox is in maybe 30 states. Uh, we're working with a couple more that should get us in well over 40. Um, so uh, hopefully that comes around soon. And I think our distributor, Republic, might be working on something in the states we're in where you might be able to order online. I'll have to check on that and see if I read that correctly. Um, but that would be fun as well. So, yeah, there's a lot of different places you can find us. Um, and then we, we're traveling around. We'll, we'll have a list out soon of all the different festivals and places we'll be in the, in the different states we're distributed in here in the next uh, next few weeks. Yeah, and it, it, you, you, you said that, that you haven't done a whole lot um, <clears throat> online and your social media presence or whatever. And I think there's a, there's a testament to the quality of what you're doing because you've had, at least from, from my side of the, the table here, you've had a really, really good uh, run of success on the model release you've done <clears throat> without having to do that. Right. Uh, and that's maybe a testament to the quality of the product that you're putting out. And um, you, you catch the buzz with the people who are looking for the next thing, right? You know, because th there are some people that are building their business off of volume sales and some people are building it off of quality sales. And those aren't, aren't always the same thing, but um, it feels like you have found the appropriate way to put out uh, a product that justifies the price because that's another tough thing is, you know, you get above $100, you start getting a lot of scrutiny. Um, and from my seat, from my position, um, what you guys are doing fits the price point better than some of the other competitors in that similar marketplace. So absolutely kudos to you guys. Thank you very much. We, we you know, one thing that, that uh, we were kind of adamant about is that um, we wanted to be smart about how we built the company and we wanted to produce our first bottles. We didn't want to take a loss on that first batch because we didn't know how much, you know, you buy whiskey. Now we don't know how much it's going to cost the next time you buy whiskey. At the mm -hmm. time, everything was going up. The barrels were going up to 200 bucks about every three months for a barrel of whiskey. Um, we needed to make sure that when we sold our first batch, we had enough money to buy the second second batch and handle the operations for that. I see a lot of folks who have come to us for for help when they've launched, and they said, you know, I, I wanted to make sure this was affordable. I kept it at sixty bucks, and that made my profit twelve percent or whatever the case may be. And you want to say, yeah, but how are you going to do the next batch? You're going to go out and do more right. funding. You're going to raise more cash. You, you know, you have to take that into account. I know it's great to say we want to keep it affordable, but if you can't afford to continue operations in in a rising rising cost environment, which a whiskey is pretty much always going to be, you have to price it appropriately, right? And that means that you need to not take a 12% profit. Maybe it needs to be 18%, right? So maybe that $60 bottle should be about $70. And keep in mind, when I sell, when we sell a bottle to a distributor, we don't sell it at $200. It, it's about 100% markup between from where, where I sell it to where you buy it as a, as a consumer. So if, if I sell a bottle at 50 bucks, you're paying about 100 bucks for it at the register. Um, so in our case, everything we do is a, is a very expensive process. It's very small scale. Um, we have great partners with Bardstown Bourbon Company where we do all the operations. We love them to death. Um, but it's very expensive the way we do it. And, and you know, we could bring the price down if we tried to produce 10,000 bottles in a batch instead of 2,000. But, you know, we'd also be adding water to it, which we don't want to do. It's kind of kind of against our our um, underlying beliefs, I guess you would say in whiskey. So yeah, yeah price, price is an unfortunate, uh, um, especially when you're not producing yourself, it's an unfortunate side effect of quality in the industry. And when people are selling you something for 30 bucks, they better have their own distillery, you know, pumping out very inexpensive whiskey and better have had it for a long time, or it's probably, you should, you should taste it real good and make sure that it is what it says it is. Yeah. That means that's affordability is a volume game uh, realistically right because you've got to be scalable you've got to have you're gonna have your own stills your own bottling facility your own rick houses potentially your own cooperage because the only way that you can get to a 40 dollars bottle is with volume right there, there's no if, way that a small yeah. independent producer can do it and make money and if you have all of that and you're new you spent six to ten million dollars to get all of that so good luck putting that bottle out right at 50 yeah, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's virtually impossible. And I think it, it I think that the most uh, modern consumers are getting more understanding of that concept of that, you know, we, we were accustomed to really cheap, high age stated whiskey up until 
the end of the 2000s, right? We get into the, the 10s and the 20s. That's when, you know, the prices start to kind of go up. But, you know, there was yeah. no popularity for bourbon. You could still pick up a Weller 12 or any of the Pappy line off of the shelf in, you know, 1999. Um, can't do that anymore. Uh, no. And buying a 10, 12, 15-year-old bottle of whiskey is not going to be cheap. And it shouldn't be cheap because there's a lot of artistry that goes into it. There's a lot of planning. There's a lot of expense. These are all the things that kind of go in. I mean, we're talking about a luxury good. Realistically, yeah. this is a luxury good. It's not a necessity. Um, I did, I was talking to, uh, Mark from Waterford and he's, you know, this is produce, not a product, right? Because it is something from the ground and that's even more romantic, you know? Um, <laughs> so, uh, I, I'm, I'm coming up on the, the end of the time that I have, uh, is there anything else that you want to share before we, uh, kind of put a pin in this conversation? No, just, uh, thanks for having me on. This has been a lot of fun. We love talking about the whiskey. We love meeting people. If, if, if any, uh, any enthusiasts and bourbon folks are ever doing the bourbon trail in Louisville and want to. Want to meet with us? Reach out, Bill at Modern. Or, not Modern Thirst. Got me talking about the website. Bill at FourGateWhiskey.com. Shoot me an email. Um, we're happy to if we have time and, and are available. We're happy to meet at Justice House of Bourbon or Watch Hill Proper, some of the cool places around Louisville, and take you through a tasting of some of our stuff, either stuff we've done in the past or upcoming or present, whatever it might be. We love connecting with folks and introducing them to our brand. So, uh, yeah, that's so that's that's fantastic, and I, I would imagine, I would bet that. Even if you did send it to the Modern Thirst, that's probably going to forward to another email. It's still there. Yeah, yeah it'll, it'll still show up. Just please don't, because it might be six months before I actually look at that uh, <laughs> at that uh, email chain. I might once, miss you. Once you've got the URL purchase, you never let it go. Unless somebody right. offers the right dollar amount for the URL. If somebody says, hey, yeah. I'll give you $5 million for it, you'll be like, gone. Bye. Serious. Oh. Um, so yeah, th thanks for, thanks for hopping on. Um, a super fun conversation. I can't wait to see, um, what this, uh, collab number six looks like. And then the, um, triple Oak that I'm a, I'm a sucker for double Oak and French Oak, triple Oak. I'm ready to see what that is too. All right. Well, look us up when you're, when you're around and we're, we'll, we'll give you a taste of it or, or uh, grab a bottle when it comes out. Thanks for tuning in for this offering from the Embellish Pod. If you enjoyed this, please leave me a review on whatever platform that you're consuming this on. Leave a comment if possible. Hit me up on social media at TikTok or Instagram using Embellish Pod. You can give me a follow and see what's going on here. I can be found at www.embellishpod.com with all of my links, accounts, contact details, and more. Thanks for stopping by.